Trading futures carries a high degree of risk and may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Hello and welcome to Behind the Screens. I'm your host, Ian Blinky, and with me is my co-host, Kevin McGee. Kevin, how are you today? Good day, Ian. I am doing well. I uh, can't complain. Everything's great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. We've had some nice volatility these past couple of weeks, and especially since our last podcast dropped. So, you know, heading into uh, October and then election season with some good volatility is is nice to see. No, it's like, uh, it's, I mean, just like hurricane season without hurricanes, you know, it's just awesome. <laughs> well, it is hurricane season too. Um, but, you know, we talk with Josh on this episode and we talk a lot about uh, naming your setups, recognizing your setups, and really kind of, I guess, having that playbook, which is stuff that a lot of other people, you know, Mike Bellafiore talks about that as well. So I've sort of crafted this playbook, or, or at least named my playbook of trades that I have now, and that's been working out real nice for me. How you about named you? Them. Yeah. What? Give me an example. So there's one. It's called uh, basically an initial breakout pullback trade. So. What'd you name it though? What'd I name it? Yeah. I named it uh, Alexander. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah. Alexander the Great is what I was thinking. Him too. Him too. <laughs> I was, has everything been on your side as far as the trading and anything else that comes to mind? As Batman's dad once asked, why do we fall, Ian? So we can get back up. Yep. So. Did okay, then I lost it all, but I learned something. And I think that might translate into next week. I'm not positive, but I know if I catch that initial like 830 to 930 swing and it's anything more than 20 points, that I'm done for the day. Yeah, that's that's a huge thing. I think with the volatility that we've seen, I don't usually trade that time frame. Like I don't like to trade the open, but when we get past nine thirty, if I can catch a, a trend into one direction, then that's it. Kind of hands off for the rest of the day, um, and not giving back those profits. I I need to catch that initial. Well, with this volatility, we get a big decent move. I need to catch that, and then I just need to tell myself it's not going to keep going in the same direction. Because for whatever reason, we're two percent down. My brain's saying. Mm. 5% down. It's in reach. But no, it it might be, I don't know. But for the most part, I gave back all my winnings, lost a little bit more, but I learned and I got myself back up. So that's good. Yeah. I think that's a good point that Josh makes in his interview too is there are some extremes where, you know, the market is either trending up or trending down. And you can still catch that trend. But at some point, right, you go low enough to where you're going to find buyers Uh or you go high enough to where you're going to find sellers, no matter how hard it's trending. Now, I'm not one to sit there and try to fight that trend, but it is hard to believe that a market that's already down 2% is going to go down to three, then four, then five. I mean, we're talking about more than a three sigma move there. So for me, I tend to get more cautious now. I was on the same page as you, where it was like, it would be going down. And I was like, why not? It What's my next going. level? Right, exactly. And the the pace, Josh talks about this too, the pace of the, the downside is like 3x that of going up. So it's fun to be able to catch those shorts and it's tempting. But in reality, you got to pay attention to what the order flow looks like and, and when it's starting to potentially find that bottom because you don't want to be the person that sells the bottom or buys the top. No, you don't. Um, what I liked with our conversation with Josh um, is him talking about the statistics and how he kind of incorporates that into his trading and his trade setups. I, I need more stats, but it makes complete sense. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's certain things that are overkill and we mentioned that too in the interview, but I do find that getting your initial balance and getting the overnight high low stats and how often it breaks and that extends from there, uh, at least for the ES, is really valuable to me. 
Yeah, I mean, you're watching Sunday Night Baseball, and they're showing like the strike zone, the heat map for the batter, and then right down the plate, he's red, and then you know, lowing in, he's blue. It just it just makes sense, you know. You're not gonna throw to Giancarlo Stanton right down the middle. You're gonna throw him some garbage in the dirt. So, right? Wh- why would you fade when the statistics tell you there's a whatever percent chance that this is definitely going to go against you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though every trade is still 50, 50, when you put it on, because any trade you put on, especially in the indices, you can get a tweet from someone, you can get news that breaks and it just can take it the complete opposite way. But when you've got statistics to lean on and say, Hey, I can take this trade and I'm risking X, but if it pays off how I think it's going to play out based on the statistics, then I stand to make 3X, 4X, whatever it is, as long as your your risk to reward ratio is favorable. Yeah. And I think it helps with like the, the FOMO. If you know there's like an 80% chance the market's going to continue going up and you're thinking, ah, I want to get short, but you don't get short. Market goes down. At least you can kind of fall back and be like, well, okay, well, the odds said it was not my favor, so on to the next one. Right, exactly. I think it helps a ton with that. I mean, having statistics absolutely has prevented me from putting on some really silly trades where I'm trying to do exactly that, where it's like, hey, I'm going to lean on the statistics here and maybe not take this trade, but maybe it does go in that direction that I thought it was going to go based on probabilities but at least I can justify why I did not or did take the trade instead of just kind of assuming or thinking that, well, we've gone two Sigma so far, we're either going to pull back or continue on. You can assign some numbers to it. Yeah. Before this volatility, when it was just, you know, new all-time high, slow grind up. I mean, every morning it'd be like, "Ah, there's no way this keeps going up, but the probabilities say it broke this threshold within the first, you know, opening range. So the odds are it's going to keep going in that direction. If I was just reading those in front of me, had them on like a sticky note on my monitor, I would probably think twice about trying to fade the market and be like, oh, there's no way we get another all-time high. Yeah, right. And that was uh, the thing too, when we were printing those all-time highs and just there's no, you're in uncharted territory, right? People don't really have levels to rely on. It's all measured moves. It's all news-based fundamentals, anticipating, okay, how much further can we really go up? And of course, you've got everybody in the world who wants to end up on television or wherever screaming that we're in a bubble. It's going to top out and tank. And eventually, you know, the indices did fall and, you know, everything came down. But there was a solid three weeks there where we were just up, 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 20 points a day, gapping up. And if you faded that, you're in trouble. I mean, I, you and I probably both did a couple yeah, of times. I faded it probably three straight weeks, and I had my last bullet when it finally dropped, which saved me. But I I mean, I just have to be smarter and not think that I'm smarter than the direction the market's going. It's just, it's not going to make sense. Right, exactly. Anything new as far as your actual uh, charts, your layout setups? Um, no, I'm still just drawing my own levels. Um, besides that, nothing real new. How about you? Nothing super new. I did add after our conversation with Josh, I threw a weekly view up on my chart. I got the the weekly and the monthly. Yep. Yep. The weekly, the monthly, and I have an intraday view up, which I've always had that, but adding the longer, you know, timeframe on that. And then, also going back, I have this hourly chart with a bunch of profiles on it, going back and looking at the ranges and the point of control lines on that hourly chart has helped me understand where the market may move next. I've started to dip back into my technical analysis bag too, drawing some bear flags on the way down, finding out. Bear, yep. bear pennants or bear? And no, no, no. That was a full on bear flag. A measured bear flag move here. down. Yep. 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 A trade I missed, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, you miss 100% of the trades you don't take. Cut that. Cut. <laughs> yeah, we'll just cut that out. 
don't uh, don't listen to Kevin's advice there. You nope. don't have to constantly be in the market. You win 100% of the trades you don't take because a break-even trade is a win. <laughs> uh, very cool. Well, I don't really have anything else before we get to the interview unless you want to shout anything out or move on from that. No, no life quote. lessons this week um, or this month, excuse me. Next month, definitely going to come with a lot of wisdom. Um, always like going into the holiday season with wisdom, with kind of a new outlook on everything. We got the November election. We have the flu season. It's going to be good. Bu- yeah. Buckle in. Yeah. I mean, flu season may be overridden this year by something else, but uh, definitely going to be a newsworthy cycle from October through you know Christmas and the end of the year. Yep. Get your flu shots early this year, folks. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's turn it over to Josh. All right, we'd now like to welcome on Josh Schuler. Uh, Josh is at Trade With Profile. You can check him out, and you can also find him on Twitter at Trade With Prof. That's P R O F. Uh, Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to Behind the Screens. Hey, thanks, Ian and Kevin. How are you guys? Doing well, Josh. How you doing? Well, <laughs> very well, very well. Although I would, I would so I, I live in Northern Colorado, and it has been. Like just, it's been like a 2020 year all around, but like in the last 48 hours. So we had ash falling from the sky from the fourth largest wildfire in Colorado history, which is about, it's about 40 miles west of my house. And then, and so like yesterday, or I'm sorry, day before yesterday, I'm driving around town and literally it's the middle of the day. And it's like, it's like an eclipse. People are driving with their lights on, right? Fast forward to today. It's the beginning of September and we have three inches of snow. Yeah. That's what I saw yesterday. Wyoming or something snow. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's just par for the course, you know, like I'm sure if we were like in some like Mayan or Incan civilization, we would read like all of these things into it. But. Yeah. Yeah. We would have some bleak, bleak prediction for the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was out there um, like three weeks ago with my family and it was probably, I don't know, probably like seventies, eighties. And, uh, all of a sudden I saw, like Kevin was saying, we saw the other day, just snow in Colorado. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> Have you seen Northern California with that like wildfire? Yeah. It's like it's, pink outside. Yeah. It, it was, it was, yeah, we were, we were orange. It was, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, some of it is, there's lots of schools of thought on how you do forest management. And I'm not by any means a forest manager, but um, there's, there's a lot of fuel to burn through, you know? And when you, when you've kept it at bay for a long time, it, you know, at some point it's got to run its course. And and that's what this fire has been. It's, it's, it's an area that was started in an area that was completely uninhabited, you know, unpopulated, no structures. And so they just kind of were letting it burn through to start. And then in like one day it doubled. Oh God. That's great. Well, we are recording this on the ninth, but it probably isn't going to come out for a couple of weeks. So if like something truly terrible happens between now and then, (laughs) yeah. Uh, if we just know that it was because we, we recorded this podcast and it's 2020. Yes. <laughs> it's going to get worse. Wait, wait, uh, for, wait for the next apocalyptic thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, uh, thanks for coming on again. Yeah. And, and what about, I just wanted to get a little bit of your background, like how you got into futures. Um, you've been around, I mean, I've known you for a while and, yeah. and you've been around the industry for a while as well. So maybe just a brief overview on that. Yeah. So, you know, about 11 years now. Um, and I, I got started in a market very similar to the one that we're in right now. And, you know, and I'm sure we could talk about that, but, um, you know, when I, I came in on the backside of the financial crisis, when, you know, prices were, were so depressed and I, I started on the stock and ex- equity side and really it was just a, a way to, try to generate some additional income, build a retirement. I mean, I was working in the nonprofit sector at the time, finished up some grad work. And, you know, it was like everything that I bought doubled. And I just thought, man, I've got this thing completely figured out. And, uh, and no, you know, I'm I, like, this should just be my career. I, you know, as I'm sure is happening to lots of people who have been trading for four months. Right. Right. Um, especially <laughs> like the I last. Looked over, at, looked over at Ian on Thursday. Yeah. So whatever. I was just going straight down. I was like, this is easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like whatever the last four months of just, you know, the, the, the perpetual bid. Um, and, but as happens, you know, and, and markets have cycles and I, um, 
I can't remember who had told me one time. They're like, look, until you've seen about 10 years of markets and the different ways it can present itself, you really don't have enough of a, of a, of your arms around how it behaves so that you can even interpret how new tools might change it. I mean, like, cause we're, we're in an unprecedented, uh, age of fed intervention you know so that does impact especially if you're an equity trader like what's going on and this jockeying between central banks and it's it's not a day in day out thing that impacts me but it does impact some of the price action and what's what's happening and um so i you know after that initial period where i was like i i've got this thing figured out like everybody you you have this period where you're like i don't know my upside from downside what was working doesn't working and um the the person that I was working with early on to develop me, she's she was focused primarily in stocks and equity options, which was fine. But like we had, I mean, at any time we had like 30, 40 positions on, and it was just a, it was just a management nightmare. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, like the 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 constant like trying to research companies and find different stocks, you know, because like often stock traders they look for like a certain ratio of things that they're looking for in a certain stock and they know, hey, there's thousands of stocks out there. I just gotta find the ones that fit those criteria. But it means you're just looking for them all the time. And I was like, I didn't I don't want to have to do that much homework. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh so so the the person that was developed me had a a, a strategic partnership with somebody that was uh, trading futures, which I didn't, I had no idea what those were. Um, but what I was intrigued with was the tool that he was using to uh, determine where he placed risk, um, which was which was profiling tools. And uh, what was fascinating is it like it felt like he could predict where price was going to go. Like he would say, okay, we're going to go to this price, which was which was very different from, from what you typically experience on like the stock side. So like on the stock side of trading, especially on the retail side, people get into a trade because there's some configuration of some indicator, or something that says enter, mm-hmm. but there's nothing that says where am I getting out. Right. And like yeah. when they when they give you a target, like they're just making it up. Right. You know, e- even analysts, analysts like on CNBC, and they're like they give a price target. That's because they just. Like yeah. they just, you yeah. know, they just pull it out. yeah, which, which is a, that's a significant challenge if you're a trader. Cause like, how do you know if the trade that you put on, uh, how do you measure risk against it? Cause I don't know if that's a one X profit or if it's a three X or if it's a 10 X, you know, so how do I effectively gauge knowing that I'm not going to win every trade where, you know, what I saw using the profiling tools, which then led me into futures, because you know, and, and profiling was birthed, you know, on the the floor at the mm-hmm. Chicago Board of Trade. So yep. it's that's kind of home base for it, right? So, um, and that that introduced me to, oh, you mean like I don't have to look at like thousands of things? I can look at like two or three. <laughs> right, right. You're looking at index, com- you know, derivatives yeah. now, and you don't have to focus on the financials for forty different companies and figure out <laughs> what right. what you're buying yeah. and selling that day. Yeah. Any, you know, even though news still does impact price action and movement and it can be a catalyst, but the, but the volatility around that, I mean, granted, some people think they're still really volatile, but, but the volatility of that relative to like, say a stock like Tesla, right? Right. It's just, it's just not this, you know, or Moderna, you know, when, if you're, if you're in Moderna on the wrong side and they come out with a, you know, some kind of phase three trial results, like, you know, hold on to your, you know, loins. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a rough time. Um, yeah. You know, futures don't have that, so it uh, it was a really attractive way, and you know, as a leveraged instrument, it was a really, really efficient uh, use of capital, as well as you know, well until you went full commission free, um, it was the, just the cheapest way to go relative to yeah. that. Um, yeah. Even even still, I think for you know the amount of money that you can put down and express risk, it's still the best instrument that you can trade. Yeah, I mean, it's and the aspect too. You you talked about stocks and how you have to measure all of these different companies. I mean, this is kind of a bleak example, but you threw Tesla out. Like if you have a CEO of a stock who's like an Elon Musk or someone who's, you know, he's kind of out there. And then that guy just goes off the deep end. That stock, if you're on the wrong side, I mean, the CEO changing or something happening to them could impact that stock. And if you're over positioned in that one stock, then, you know, you're, you're in for a rough ride. Whereas if you're trading, a derivative, an NQ or an ES, something like that. Sure, one company going bust may may move price a little bit, but you're you're not trading that individual component. You've got 
you know, 500 components in a leveraged derivative. So even though, even though there is the leverage and obviously that involves an aspect of risk, which you already mentioned, we'll, we'll get into that more on the profiling side. Um, you don't have to worry about that, you know, one holding kind of tanking your portfolio type thing. That's right. That's right. So you got into futures and then where, what, what products did you kind of start on or what did you start looking at? I started in, I started in still trade a lot of uh, mini NASDAQ. Um, cool. I, f- I found that it was a, you know, and lots of people look at, you know, the ES, obviously the most you know, popular product out there. But um, at the time that I got started, you know, the mini NASDAQ was, uh, had, had similar volume. So, you know, the, 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 uh, the pace of the price action was similar to the ES in, in terms of a smoothness. It was not as jumpy as like the Russell or the, uh, which at the time Russell was on the ice and then um, and the, the, the mini Dow, but it has, it's wider. And, and I found that it, it offered, um, you know, better opportunity. It was just a little more forgiving than the ES was, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, it as an intraday vehicle. And, you know, and then from there just branched out into um, the energy and, you know, all, all the six asset classes. I, I haven't, I mean, probably the ones that I've, I've traded the least have been the currencies. Um, although, you know, I, I've, I've probably traded more Euro this year than I have in any year prior. Um, but I think that's, I think that's one of the wonderful things that you can do with futures is you can express risk on any part of the world economy, Yeah. you know, um, across those asset classes. And, and there's all kinds of really unique ways that you can even create pair trades and, you know, hedge stuff with options and, uh, it's just, you can be really creative as you're building your positions. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a ton of different asset classes. And I think that, um, like you mentioned, expressing risk is a huge component because if you are someone, you know, who's, who's maybe not necessarily loving trading the EAS or something, well, maybe you have a couple of setups that you could take over into a different market and, you know, you still have to understand the components, right? If you're going from trading the ES to like crude oil, um, you don't want to be caught on the wrong side of like an OPEC number or something, right. but, right. but you can take some of those setups and the profiling tools and, and still trade that asset as well. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it that, that's, you know, with our guys um, and gals, it, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about is, Hey, everything that we talk about in the auction process is transferable to any product that you're going to express risk on. Now they, they, there's little, little nuances to each product, you know, like, like if gold catches a bid, like good luck fading that, you know, like yeah. it's, it, it's just going to go, you know, crude can, can behave that way as well. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, in, in terms of relationship to value, which we can talk about here in a little bit, like that, that price relationship to value is ubiquitous. Like it doesn't matter what asset you're looking at, what pr- trading product you're looking at. And so then you just, it's a matter of like, okay, I understand that, that ongoing relationship, um, between price discovery and value development and then find the product that fits, you know, fits my, uh, timeframe, fits my, uh, risk tolerance, you know, how much it moves and, and go from there. Right. Right. Like there are some products that I still think are, are crazy to try to trade. I mean, for me, the DAX would be something that I wouldn't even attempt. Um, you know, you're talking about, 50 point ticks base or $50 ticks, basically 50 euro. And to me, that's just insane. And I, I just don't <laughs> want to put up the risk on that, but right. yeah. <laughs> Does the, the profiling, is it like basically the same, um, the same effectiveness on like a ZN versus an NQ yeah. where the books just lined with thousands of lots and thousands of lots versus the NQ, which you may get a five tick spread. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all it's doing is it's just arranging visual historical inventory, right? So, so it, it's just thinking like, and I, I always try to tell people, you know, you, you probably, most people are better traders than they think they are. You know, they just get kind of lured into all of the, the bells and whistles of indicators. And like, think if I get this magical mix of indicators, then I will never lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Which, which we're all kind of wise to the fact that's not, not true. Um, not that ind- indicators are bad. I mean, indicators are another way that you can arrange market information to help you uh, process and, and make decisions. But, you know, I, I think of like housing markets, 
you know, and like if I'm going to go buy a house, like what are the inputs that help me decide whether I want to buy that house or not? And, right. you know, and one of the key ones that, that you would look at to know whether you're paying over or below value, you know, that quote unquote value is the comps, you know, so you're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, look for like uh, up in your guys' neck of the woods. I'm out in Schaumburg and I'm looking for a four bedroom ranch with three bathrooms, half acre lot. I mean, I don't even know what, you know, what that would be going for right now. But, um, you know, like if we say that that was probably, I'm just pulling on my head. I'm thinking about that area, probably like 375, maybe. That's probably, probably. right. Yeah, that's somewhere in there. Right. Um, kind of north side Chicago. So like that, like if I was going to go find a, a similar property like that, like let's say I was a flipper, right? So like if I, if I was going to try to find a house that I could like buy, remodel and flip and try to sell it above value, I would be really, really careful to know what the asking price was versus where value was. Yeah. yeah. But if I was like, this is going to be my forever home and I'm going to be in this thing for 20 years, like what I think about relative to value is a different thing. Right. Right. And so depending on how you're looking to approach the market, whether you're going to be there as a day trader or you're going to be there as a multi-session trader is which reference of value or the comp, just like you'd have in a housing market is most important to you. Right. And the, and the behaviors are the exact same, right? Like we all know a housing bubble is happening when prices are just going, you know, sky high. And it just seems like we leap to the next price, but we don't spend much time at that price. Yeah. You know, and then, and then eventually what happens is like people go, I'm not going to participate at those prices anymore. <laughs> right. Right. And then, yeah. So in the same way, like with, with the profiling on markets, um, even if you are, you know, an intraday single session trader, it's still important, at least maybe you can back me up on this, to have the overall context in mind too, which is what profiling allows you to do as well, where you you do have that, you know, kind of few days or week picture in mind, but you can look at the longer term picture too and stay inside of context, you know, with the, this recent run up that we have and then subsequently this kind of correction we're in now. Uh, you actually put something out. I forget where I saw it on like LinkedIn and it was just an image of the profile and like everything above a certain price in the ES was like very lightly traded. And mm-hmm. of course we're at new all time high. We were at new all time highs. So that makes sense. But it was like, Hey, you know, be cautious in this context. Like maybe we've come too far too fast. You know, we were right. going up 20 points a day, basically overnight in the ES and all of a sudden we'd come in, you know, Kevin and I would get into the office and price would be trading 25 points higher than where it closed the previous day. And it was almost like nothing had to happen to get it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, and those are, those are great examples of, you know, when, when you get up to those extreme prices and you run out and in basically what we're talking, cause we're, we're talking about this in an audio sense. So, you know, you imagine a histogram, you know, and that histogram represents volume of contracts at each price the higher the price, you know, the further the price gets extended and the fewer participants there are, that Instagram gets thinner and thinner and thinner. And not, I said Instagram, the histogram gets thinner and thinner and thinner. And then, then there's two, there's really just two behaviors that are going to happen. One is we either go back to the fat side of that histogram where quote unquote value was, or we spend time trading sideways to try to build out that histogram and, you know, finding more participants who are willing to participate at those prices. But think about that. Like think how, how actionable that is. Like if I could look at, if I can look at an, any auction and go, okay, that profile's thin, whether it's in the day time frame or a multi-day time frame, and I can go, all right, this is probably not a place that I want to, you know, open myself up to a, a lot of risk in trying to go further in this direction. You know, I'm going to be play more defensive and I'm actually going to maybe look for the other side, like, you know, the, that return to value. Um, it's, it's really effective and, and it doesn't have to be like overly complicated either. Like from a context standpoint, like we, with our team, we actually just use three variables. So any, any traders that, that we develop, um, cause most people that are looking to express, like they want to be a trader and want to be fairly active. They really have about a month that is their time frame and their view. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you know, they're not capitalized enough to be outside of that. You know, that it's not like, not like Ira Harris, who is like, you know, building these long positions off of stuff that he's read between what's happening in the Bundesbank, you know, like it's not, right. right. Um, so like, you know, how could I quickly come into any market and have, uh, have a sense I'm going to do the same things at any time a market is in this configuration. And and basically what we look at is we look at just three variables. We look at the price. What was the last traded price? 
And then what was the most traded price for the last month? And what's the most traded price for the last week? So, so we call that the posture of the auction. And, and you'll find that there are only nine orientations that, that of, rela of relationship of those three variables. And, and based on where we are relative to those variables, we do the same things. So like right now, for example, uh, we're trading 39.95 to close the day here in the ES. The most traded price for the last month is 33.70. The most traded price for the last week is 33.70. So um, because we're not more than the expected range away from that, we're basically called a we're basically calling it a balanced market. So that means we're prepared for a directional move, either direction, higher or lower, and and that move is going to come you know, come from that 33.70 area. Yeah. Yeah. So when you are looking at that, because I think traders, you know, have a hard time. Well, one, when the market is running up, like we had, you know, last week and a, a couple of weeks prior to this, I think a lot of people were trying to read where that, that top is and try to fade the market constantly. Right. And, mm -hmm. and it was almost like when you talked about when gold catches a bid or something like mm -hmm. it was unrelenting pace upwards. And, you know, when, you know, you look at all the people who are trying to fade the market, they were just getting crushed. So yeah. when you're deciding kind of that risk reward ratio for a trade, um, and, and maybe you are, you know, even if it is a rallying market, maybe you are trying to say, okay, when's this thing going to run out of steam? I want to fade it. Mm -hmm. How cautious are you being, or how cautious are some of the people you're developing being with that risk on that kind of short or opposite position? Yeah. So, um, th so that, that, orientation we call it an extreme posture so that would be where where the and and you know we have um like little micro algos across all the future spectrum that kind of calls out these different postures every morning but um like if if the price if the last traded price is more than an expected range above the most traded price of the last week and that that most traded price for last week is above the most traded price of the last month by 2x of the expected range. Mm -hmm. So that, that would mean, you know, like if right now the expected range in the ES is what, 50 points or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. So you, so you need, you know, a hundred points between the 20, the, the monthly value and weekly value and another 50 points between weekly value and month and the price. And, and when that happens, uh, the call out is just like, okay, we're in extreme. We're looking for exhaustion. Yeah. So, so, so we're not, we're not shorting into this, but, but we are, we're not taking, we're not interested in new longs mm -hmm. and, and we're just, we're now in a defensive posture and we know that we're either one of two things can happen. We're either going to trade sideways and pull that weekly value higher to us, or we're going to trade back to weekly value. And and so whenever we look for that exhaustion, the target price, the first target back is always that weekly value. I got a question. Um, yeah. I mean, you make your kind of process and like, strategy, whatever, seems so simple with the, you know, three things you look at. Is it easier to teach this to someone that's coming in with a blank slate, no bad habits, or do you kind of need like a baseline understanding to build off of, to understand the volume profile and market profile? Oh yeah. Any, anything's easier to teach somebody that's never had it, had an experience with it. Uh, the, 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 I think the great thing of, of trading, the trading industry is it was, it really quickly grabbed the DIY how-to of the internet. And, and, th and that's awesome. There's some incredible resources out there, you mm -hmm. know, um, and, and some genuinely wonderful people who are sharing some great expertise at the same time, there's stuff that's just absolutely made of myth. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like I love, like, I love the trading view website. Um, it's, 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 I love those charts. You know, they use them on the CME, they use them at RJO. Like they're, they're in the back, they're really, really clean charts. And they have that education section where people like post all their ideas. And like, I have traders that, that bring me tr charts that they find on TradingView and, you know, of these setups. And you're just like, that is like, it's voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, and, and, but people like, well, you know, shouldn't it be this and this? And you're like, whoa, like, where did that come from? Like who told you that that had any merit at all? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it is kind of crazy that there are people in the industry who I think are bringing a ton of value and, and want to, you know, teach people and, and provide good setups and, um, 
you know, obviously I believe you're one of those people, but it is crazy how many things you find that are just like that voodoo or someone selling the quote unquote holy grail. And it's like, you know, I want to just tell people if someone is promising you this amazing performance, I wouldn't touch it. Like (laughs) I wouldn't touch it. Like if, if they're being upfront and explaining the risks and this seems like something that is going to take some work because it does, then I can see value in it. But if it's uh, if it just seems like the, I'm coming in and I'm going to make, you know, 10 grand this month off of that. I'm like, uh, I would stay away from that one. <laughs> yeah. So Josh, yeah. are you saying not to just blindly follow those like built in trading strategies? That trading <laughs> I would that, like, give I you would, the signals. Yeah. I would say, well, I, let me try them. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that there isn't, you know, um, and I, you know, I'm even exploring some like letters of direction and stuff like that as well. Um, so I think there's some really cool approaches like that, but you know, the, the challenge, the challenge, especially for somebody trying to learn markets on their own, you know, which is ultimately why I developed trade with profile, because, you know, all the stuff that I had to like, all the stuff I tried to learn, then had to unlearn and then, you know, try to sort that in a systematic fashion where you're just like, man, I wish I could just systematically build this understanding. Yeah. yeah. Um, because then you could, you could, you know, like, and one of the great things, you know, for, for people who power community is when they, you know, they've got a good foundation. So like when somebody has a good foundation, you can quickly vet whether something will add value to you or not. Like, like mm-hmm. right now I've been uh, digging into this group spot gamma, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know these guys, but they, they run a lot of analysis on um, where, where is their uh, option gamma in the indexes as dealers are hedging against, you know, like, so like, for example, if you, if somebody buys a Tesla call, someone had to sell that Tesla call to them. Right. 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 So that person is now what they're now net short deltas. So yeah. if Tesla keeps going higher, somebody's losing on that. Well, if it's from a dealer, they're going to hedge that. So how are they hedging that? They're either buying long stock, right. Or there, there's some other instrument that they're doing to get Delta neutral and, and where they're placed on that and where those expirations are can tell you the range bounds of the market. And, and what's really fascinating is where this stuff is lining up with profile references, which makes sense because that's where inventory is. Right. Um, so like, like that's, a, that's a new thing for me um, and a place I'm developing, but it, because I already understand that like at the end of the day, there are two indicators that every trader looks at, like every, whether you're retail, institutional, you know, broker dealer, whatever, everybody looks at price at volume. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like those are the only two. So like, it's funny, like I've got this guy that uh, he's, he's a friend of mine. Every time like I post a, you know, a pre-market markup of the ES and he'll, he'll post some, you know, thing of, you know, some Bollinger band or, uh, <laughs> you know, some Fibonacci number. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that everybody else looked at that Bollinger band. Well. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, Deutsche Bank cared where your Fibonacci numbers were. Like they don't, they, they have, they don't care where that stuff is. Right. Like, right. Um, so that that's why I am like a ruthless evangelist for the profile because it just, it's objective in how it's allowing you to, you know, arrange price and volume. Now, like there's some other things that are tools that also work that I don't think if you, I don't think, I think if they're not in your wheelhouse, they need to be. Um, and that's VWAP <laughs> it's, uh, you know, whether, you know, intercession VWAP um, and then like a week to date, month to date, quarter to date, year to date um, that stuff, which is another, you know, think about what that is. It's a component that measures volume and price. Right. Right. And if, if the, if the exchange is using VWAP to set price limits, why is that not on your chart? Right. You know? Right. I mean, it is, those are like, I mean, geez, I'm looking over at my chart right now and I have that exact, <laughs> those exact tools up. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Pretty, yeah. You're nailing it. <laughs> Right. Nothing right. but print money now. Ian's right. ATM. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, uh, that brings me into my next question, the uh, aspect of me having these up and then just printing money, which is the risk control side. Yeah. Um, how often do you, you know, when, when you're kind of teaching and educating and everything else, how often do you have people who, you know, you know that you've talked about risk and discussed it and, uh, then all of a sudden they just come to you and they're like, man, I, I blew up my account today or I lost whatever X amount. And it's way beyond like a typical, you know, limit that they would want to risk for their size. Yeah. Uh, just once I, 
we had one guy in our community that God love him. Um, you know, great guy had some really bad impulse control. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately we solved it because we just put the risk control on this, on the uh, brokerage side, basically yeah. said like your, your lockout. Um, but uh, I don't, I, I don't get those. I don't get those comments because we like, we have a very kind of within our, our methodology, I think there's kind of three things that you kind of have to have your arm around to be able to be consistently profitable in markets. And, it, you know, like in terms of goals of where you want to get to, like outcome is consistently profitable. Like, you know, people will say, well, I want to make X amount of money. I, that Like looking for a specific dollar figure is not going to get you there. But if there's certain core competencies that you have, that can adapt to any market cycle. And so, you know, it's, it's these three. So one is there, that there are really only four behaviors that an auction exhibits. And you need to know which what those are. Like an auction has a beginning, there's a move, there's uh, a counter move that t- takes it into rest, and then there's either a test of that range or another move. Like that's it. Yeah. That's all there is, right? So being able to identify those in any time frame, and then the like the stages of competency, which I know you know Morad talks about those. Like, um, you know, stage one, I don't know what I don't know, don't know, so it's an unconscious incompetence you know, all the way to a, a stage four where it's a, a, a unconscious competence. Like you've, it's not that you just have this natural instinct, but it's been honed as you've worked around something that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but the third area is that you do not put on a trade unless you can answer these four questions. And the first question is where is the price target or what's the opportunity? Yeah. Right. So that's number one. The second one then is, is the, how much am I willing to risk to go after that opportunity? And then the third one is, if I'm right, how would the auction behave as I'm going after that opportunity? And then how should it not behave? Right. So and when we, do, we just drum that. And like anybody who shares a trade with me, I go, great. How did you answer the four questions when you put that on? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, it's, and it, it's yeah. like providing a trade plan for like, I mean, you have your overall trade plan, but then your trade plan for the actual trade itself which I imagine also leads to people not necessarily over trading as well because maybe they pause and think to themselves, okay, what are these questions before I put this trade on? What, what is my actual opportunity here and what's my risk and answer these questions before I just go and do what Kevin and I like to do, which is try to catch what we think looks like a breakout and then it just returns back to control. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, it's four basic principles Yeah, and I agree, but I can't follow them. And I know, <laughs> like, for, I know it's stupid. I know I shouldn't be taking the trade, but I still do it. So what, like, how do you deprogram that just stubborn stupidity that I have? Well, so, I, I mean, the thing I would ask is like, when you, when you go back and you look at your trade logs, like, what do you call the trade that you put on? In terms like, of, does it, does, does it have a name? Uh, no. Okay, so that's a great that's a great place to start. Like like in my playbook, um, I've got eighteen, well at minimum eighteen playbook setups, and I know what they are. Like there's an extension fade, there's an IB go with, there's a directional open go with, there's a binary second move, there's a structure cleanup trade, there's a posture option swing. Like I know what those setups are. Mm-hmm. So so you know it, when I'm looking at the market, I'm identifying what that specific setup, and I know that that setup has a set of criteria to it before I would execute the trade, kind of like a flight checklist, right? And oh, so yeah. for for example, and this is one of like the trades that I I'd encourage everybody to look at is what's called an extension fade. So the first hour of any market sets what we call the initial balance, right? So the we have we have really really cool stats on that. That in in any tradable market, and it doesn't matter if it's an equity or future, ninety percent, ninety seven percent of the time, thousand year rolling study, thousand year, thousand uh, session rolling study will exceed that range. And then once we've exceeded it, there's a seventy percent chance that we'll only exceed it in one direction. So that means if we take out the IB high, we will only take out the IB high. We won't go back and take out the IB low. Mm-hmm. And then like let's say the ES. Okay, so the ES. Well, if the if the opening range was say, I don't know, thirty points, um, half of that would be fifteen points, and so the probability that it will get another fifteen points outside of that opening range is about fifty percent. 
Okay, so so that's that's information that I can use. And then if I'm if I see that I'm trading outside of that range, and I've got to that additional fifty cent fifty percent extension, and I know that every price beyond that fifty percent extension is a reduced probability of occurrence. And then if I see that the most traded price of the day is still back inside of that initial balance range, that's my price target. Hmm. Okay, so then what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a short time frame trigger that I can get my risk as tight as possible. Maybe it's like an order flow spike, you know, and it, pick pick your trigger, whether you want to use Renko or volume bars, you know, contract bars, uh, and we use five minutes bars, whatever, but something that I can have a really short window where I see impulsive activity in the direction that I want to go, which is fading back in the market, then, you know, I can define, I have a really clear cut target and I've got really clear defined risk. And then like, you know, what should happen at, once I'm in the trade is that I should see the order flow. Um, I should see price uh, volume at price building back in the direction that I want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I should not see order flow continue against me, you know, obviously my stop should not be run, but then, you know, I, that's the trade. And so that's, that's the scenario that I can look for. And that you could look for in any market. Like if you just want to like have, you could have, you know, NASDAQ, ES, Russell, crude and gold and, and and soybeans. And you could look at those six products every day and look for the fade. Hmm. So how often when you, so let's take the, the fade trade, for example, yeah. And let's say you're, everything looks like it's going in your direction, uh, price is moving in your favor again, and you hop on that. And then since the market is still random, are you ever cutting that before your stop? Or are you defined and saying, hey, I know the criteria that means this trade is probably going to play out in my favor, and I know what it's going to look like. And if it doesn't, how often are you like cutting that early before your stop? Or do you let it play to your stop? kind of each time just because that's, you know, that's your kind of defined yeah. risk area. Um, I mean, often, you know, often yeah. we're, we're taking some, and that that's, this is why the advent of micros is the greatest aside, aside from, you know, reduced cost structures, but, but the advent of micros is such a, a boon to a trader because now you can get into, you know, where guys were trading like one mini contract. Okay. Now you could trade four micros and have less risk. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so you get in the trade with your four micros, you get some positive excursion, you know, take one off, like, you know, give some cushion to your, your cost basis, right. Get right. You know, further in there. And then, you know, like have, you know, we use, um, you know, short time frame order flow, like air, you know, where, wherever the order flow is to, to lean on that and like lean on strength. So, you know, whatever the last area of strength was, I lean on that one until I get a new area. So like, if I'm looking for the short, I see the initial short strength. And then, you know, I lean on that and that's where my stop is until I see the next area of short strength. And then I pull my stop down and just trail that strength in that direction. And, you know, then eventually you get to an OCO and, you know, you rock and roll. Right. Yeah. Cool. But, that, um, but that's, that's the, you know, that's the way, Kevin, is, is you, you know, being able to identify, I, I've named my trades like this, you know, because then I can even, you can go back in your logs. And, and one of the things that I learned not this year, but the year before was I was taking lots of trades before that IB was complete. And when I went back and looked at those, those setups, I was like, wow, I'm way less effective on these trades. So I need to do more work on that in development. I can, I can still do the fade trade because that like that one, you know, I, I think I had like an 87% win rate on, you know, but the, the pre, the pre IB trade, I, you know, I was like 45, 40% win rate. So mm-hmm. like if, if yeah. I'm thinking about trading as a business, well, you would cut, <laughs> you right. would cut that one components. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, or do some more work or, you know, find some other things. And that actually, that's what led me to VWAP is because I'd find that I would like try to do like an early, uh, another setup is called a prior value test. So like if I'm in the, in the, you know, the next session, so like tomorrow, for example, like uh, 34.15 was the most traded price in the ES today. So that's our first value reference for tomorrow, right? So let's say tomorrow we open at like, I don't know, four or 34.30, okay? We're a little bit above today's range and then we get back inside of today's range. Like 34.15 is a target. That's that's called a prior value test. So that's my opportunity is I'm looking for the auction to go back and test that prior value. 
Well, I, I used to take that trade on the open all the time. And then it would seem like I'd get going in my direction. And then all of a sudden it would just turn against me and, and just rock it the other way. And what, what I found was it was the overnight global global session VWAP. <laughs> like, you know, so when, when I find that VWAP that's in between price and value, like as I come down to VWAP, I'll, I'll peel some off, yeah. you know, to see if we can punch through that. And if I see, for example, that like if I woke up tomorrow and the overnight VWAP and you know, if it was at 34.15 and that prior value is at 34.15, like that's a signal to like short the world. Yeah. Because there's just right. nothing, there's nothing in the way. I'll tell you what, Josh, if we open up at, at 34.30 tomorrow morning, when I tweet this out, I'm, I'm going to call you Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> did you, so like your, your playbook, did yeah. you kind of have that when you started? Like no. the discipline to put it together or did you have to kind of lose and take some lumps to figure out? I, I, I had to, well, I mean, like everybody, you have to lose and, and, and take some lumps and, and figure it out. And then I, you know, I, um, I mean, I have, I have some background in like business, like business development, strategic business, uh, development for just organizations, just outside of trading, you know, and processes that we use there are similar to when you, you know, developing as a trader and you're trying to find how can I categorize something so that it's almost like I can take it off the shelf and look at it and then analyze it and see if it's doing what it should be doing and then put it back, right. you know, or make whatever tweak it is. And I, I mean, I, one, one great book I'd highly recommend was uh, Mike Bellafore's uh, playbook, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and s done a fantastic job of talking about, you know, a playbook trade and knowing what those playbook trades are that you have. And, and that was kind of like an aha moment for me of like, Oh yeah. Like, this is a way that I can categorize. It's also a way because every trader is unique. Like I got I, like one trade that's in my playbook is a trend continuation trade. I suck at it. I cannot, I cannot trade that trade. And it's when we get into a trending and that I'm, I'm just a better fade trader period. I'm not a great uh, breakout go with trader. Um, it's a, it's a, it's something I have to keep working on. It's much clearer for me to fade the market. Um, but there's, there's a, a trade called a trend continuation setup that you've you've identified a trend and so now you're just like every every order flow spike in the trend you're adding risk adding risk adding risk and i mean i don't trade it well but like i got a guy on the team that just that's his like favorite trade <laughs> like he just you know but what's cool about having different types of setups and different types of you know playbooks is that any trader can look at them and say that fits me right yeah right because if you're going to be successful in this market like you have to find the setup and the approach that fits you that that's easier, easiest for you to see. And if there's like one approach that's just not, you know, easy for you to see, like don't kill yourself or, or make yourself feel bad that you can't do that trade. Like what if you just go, I mean, I know part of the reason that I, I struggle with the go with trade, which is saying something when I'm an equity index trader and I struggle going with a trend days <laughs> higher um, is because the, the one, you know, guy that was originally teaching me, like he was, a, he was only a short ever. And, and it, you know, and so I, I got used to, I got used to, and I enjoy the pace of the short versus the long, Yeah, you know, cause it's just, it's three X, yeah. you know? So if you're patient, I mean, like today, I mean, if you waited until that three fifty floor rebalance that the, that the, the market's been doing since the pandemic, like you got, um, you know, pretty awesome 40, 40 to 50 point short in the NQ. Right. Or you're right. like me and you gave back all of your profits on the day. <laughs> <laughs> or or you could be like that. Yeah. But that was, you know, that was what I call a trend day, end of day fade. So, you know, which has, you know, certain criteria that it all met, all met. And that's a trade that's in my playbook. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I guess I have probably one last question before we kind of start to wrap up. Um You've got, you know, obviously we talked about the probabilities of things playing out after the initial balance, all of that. Was that research that you kind of also figured out on your own while you pulling on other resources? Or is there somewhere that you go to or that you send traders to where it's like, hey, here's some market statistics, check them out? Yeah. I, I mean, there are, there are a load of people that look at stuff like this. Like, I mean, I know um, Convergent. Mm-hmm. has yeah. you know looks at a lot of those statistics i think there's a there's a twitter account it's like uh, metrics maestro <laughs> or something that they yeah. tweet. and and uh the the ones that i've really honed on and uh, 
the place that you can go to actually extract those, so like IRT from Linsoft, is a really great platform to allow you to extract behavioral statistics. So you can you can come up with all kinds of you know queries of like, okay, so if I have uh, a gap of this size relative to the expected range of the product, how many times would it close? Yeah, you know, you know stuff like that. Um, and you know the thing is, statistics you can be you can over statistic to death. Yeah. To the point that it, it's like decision paralysis. So you don't want it to be that place. I, I just find that statistics are really helpful for any developing trader in learning normative behavior of the auction. Right. Which is not the same, not the same thing as saying normal. Cause I don't think there is a normal. It's right. just like, what's it, what's the normative behavior of the auction and how can I kind of uh, contextualize that statistically to know even like, is this an exceptional day or not? You know, like, yeah. like, like if, if we're trading past two X of that first initial balance range, then you're looking at exceptional behavior and you should trade accordingly. So like where I might be looking to fade the market up until it gets to two X, the IB, like once it goes two X, the IB, I go the other way. Hmm. Cause I'm like, this, this is, this is exceptional. Yeah, this, this is, is most exceptional. Likely, right. It's most likely a trend day is probably not over today. Right. Right. Interesting. Kevin, do you have uh, anything else? Kevin's over here, like trying to wrap his head around his his trade from this afternoon. <laughs> and I yeah, can just see I'm him. <laughs> second guessing myself. Um, but like in terms of the statistics, how do you kind of narrow down which ones are relevant versus which ones are, like you said, just noise and going to affect I, the decision? I mean, I, I think the, like the ones, uh, I'm going to tell you the ones that I, I, I look at and I don't have a whole lot of them. I mean, knowing, knowing the, uh, how you know how often the IB extends, and the thing is, is it happens so often you just don't, you just you just know that one. Like overnight stats, you know, there's 97% chance that during the RTH session we'll take out either the overnight high or the overnight low. Um, you know, I had I had one guy that came to me. He had lost half a million in a year, and when we were kind of doing the due diligence on what was going on, I found out that he was always placing a trade before the market opened the RTH session. And I'm like, mm. dude, you realize that like you've basically put yourself in a 50-50 window and yeah. you have and you have no guess on which one it is. Right. Right. So, you know, if you would just wait and let that overnight stat complete, you've maybe you've reduced opportunity, but you've also reduced risk. Right. Right. Which right. is our which is our game. Right. If you're going to stay in this game, you got to be able to it's, it's more about the risk than it is the opportunity. And so like knowing the overnight stats, knowing the extension stats of that IB. And, you know, how, how often, and, and the, so knowing, knowing that it's, it, if it extends and what's the probability that it'll extend the other direction and what's, what's the probability that it will get to 1.5 and 2X the IB is pretty much it. Like, like the only other key stats that I kind of keep in my head are um, if we have a gap, what's the probability that the gap closes based on how much of the range has been covered from the prior day's range to the new range. Okay. That's my it. only my uh, follow up question for that. Um, how did you like memorize this where it just became second nature and you could rattle them all off? Um, well, it's like, hey, it's like, hey, memorize anything else? You yeah. Just you just spend. I There's mean, like for, no for card me, in front of you. Well, yeah, and, and that's also the like the beauty of writing curriculum and working with you know, tra- developing traders is it helps ingrain it in me. Right. You know, so yeah, I might, I, we spend a whole week with our team uh, a couple times a year looking at nothing but behavioral statistics and you know because you can and you can go to the nth degree and you can you can start saying okay well what if what's the probability of if i start outside of a value area and come into the value area of a prior day it'll traverse the value area i mean you could get that uh, into the minutiae or you could even look at harmonic rotations of okay if i have this much excursion in price what's the probability that i'll get like this much counter and you can get really micro on the, all that kind of stuff and that's just it's just more overload it, from my right. perspective. Yeah. I, yeah. To me, that sounds like, cause I used to captain, you know, sports teams and like when we would be down or getting beat up or whatever at halftime, it would just be like, pick a few things to focus on. So if you get really, really granular to me, I'm like, my head starts to spin and I, I don't need all of that information, but a lot of those stats that you mentioned, you know, the IB, uh, the overnight high and low, those are things that I, I look at as well. But yeah, when you get into the minutia, I, I have no interest in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, all you, all you need, all you need to be successful in this market or in any market and in, in this business of trading 
is you need to know that you can approach the market every day with an idea that you're looking for. You know what the criteria around that idea. You know that you can execute it with confidence and then you can be patient for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably, um, well, one, we probably want to wrap it up, but two, I think that's something that traders who are not kind of approaching this as a business with a plan, that's one of the biggest aspects for me is the patience, like waiting for that setup. And if it doesn't happen that day, then, hey, you don't have to trade that day, but waiting for your setup to actually come into the price where you're looking to participate is, you know, a huge area where I see people kind of struggle, really. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that you have a platform that has price alerts, Yeah, you know, and then, and then turn the charts off. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Don't look at them all the time. That's right. Well, cool. Um, I don't have anything else. Josh, did you have any any questions for us or anything you want to pop in? Uh, stocks only go up. So just buy. <laughs> buy. <laughs> That's what I've been hearing. Yeah. I, I I have this wild conspiratorial belief that that like this, this, this most recent dip that we saw was to once again teach the dip buyers to buy. Um, because they had they hadn't they hadn't yet in the four months they hadn't had like a a pretty decent pullback yeah that would make them sweat and so by you know like a rally today and if we you know spend some you know i you know if we're above uh for above 3400 tomorrow i mean 3500 still within range um that that gives them you know more dopamine hit of like just buy the dip buy the dip buy the dip buy the dip and and then the rug pull happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah, you have all the Robin Hood traders that roll out of bed at like eleven and they're just buying anyway. So, yeah. you know, it just wakes everyone up a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, Josh, right. thank Thanks, you so guys. much. Uh we appreciate it. You can find him on Twitter at Trade with Prof P R O F and uh Trade with Profile and we appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you, Josh. Guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of Behind the Screens. As always, Behind the Screens is brought to you by EdgeClear. If you're a listener and you have an account with EdgeClear, awesome. We're happy to have you on board. If you know someone or you're a listener that doesn't have an account at EdgeClear and you think that person would like some great service and to have Kevin or myself as their broker rep, have them check us out. And as always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Catch you guys next time.